Hey, my name is Steve McCoy. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm the pastor here at 360. Again, so glad that you're here. Um, this is always, uh, obviously, it's such a wonderful time of the year. It's spring. It's uh, Easter. There, it's just uh, new beginnings. It has that sense. And I, I think if you live in Florida, it's also time when the traffic begins to clear a little bit. Uh, <laughs> all right. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you. I seemed like you're more excited about that than the resurrection. <laughs> Easy. How many snowbirds do we have in the room, by the way? Yes. All right. Beautiful. Awesome. Just three of you. All right. Welcome. Go home. No, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. <laughs> Very much kidding you. Oh, it's only three of you. Well, I can make fun of you since you're not. <laughs> no, I, lo I love the snowbirds that come down from, uh, from up north. We always look forward to seeing them, but the traffic does begin to clear out. And uh, I was just on 41 the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact, and, and uh, good grief, it just seemed like things were already flowing, uh, you know, uh, in a more uh, smoother way. And uh, I thought to myself, gosh, I hate being stuck in traffic, don't you? I mean, I've been on I-4 before, and just miles of traffic, and you're just sitting there. And, and in season, there are times where we're sitting there on 41, and you think, oh, can someone just move? I think it's a frustrating experience in life, in human uh, experience, whether it's driving or something else, to be stuck you want to go, you have places to go, people to see, all that stuff, and, and, but you can't get forward. There are things in our life that, man, you, there, we want to accomplish those things, but ah, we feel stuck. It, it, there are things that we would like to see changed in our life. There are things that we want to be different, every single one of us, myself included. Some of these things we've been working on for years and like, ah, you feel stuck. I was, I was looking at some uh, pictures. Can you feel it coming? I, I was looking at some pictures. Even in the animal kingdom, the, the, the animals even get stuck. I brought some photos. Now, here's a... a <laughs> <laughs> yep, what do you say? Uh, and here's, here's another one for you. Yeah, yeah, for all your cat lovers. Not limited to the animal kingdom. Humans get stuck in all kinds of... Uh, there's one for your wedding. Uh, can you imagine? That's your wedding day right there. Now, uh, here I've seen this actually. The next one, I've seen this happen before. Yep. And read the side of the truck. Sure we can. No, you can't. No, sir. You're not going to be able to. And, and finally, I don't even know how to explain this next phenomenon. I mean, really, how does that happen? I mean, no, sure we get, no, you can't even get close to getting that bad boy out of the tree. In fact, I would say the definition for being stuck is that you cannot get out by yourself. I mean, there are places that I've gotten a, a, in a jam, and I've been able to kind of weasel my way, wiggle my way out, but truly, truly stuck means that we cannot get out by ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. We can't get out of the hammock or the oak tree or whatever that thing was. We're there. I think about our lives, and there are times where there could be small things that I, I just can't, I can't seem quite to get past this square. I can't quite get past this point in my life. And I believe that everybody in this room understands when I will say to you that there are sometimes very heavy 
things that seem to have a strangle on us, to seem to have back in middle school language a headlock on us, to use some heavy biblical language stronghold on us. These are moments where we look at ourselves and we feel like that, that truck underneath that overpass. And I can't, we're there. How do you get out? It seems impossible. We've been tracking the life of Joseph in the Old Testament that on the surface may not seem all that exciting. But here's the exciting thing that we've discovered about his life and the reason that we've kind of looked under the hood, so to speak. He was a man who fought. As we're saying, he fought a holy fight. He was a man that understood that this life has battles and they are worth fighting for. There are times if you're like me that you say, ah, I'm just, this one's not even worth the fight. But the holy fight, whatever that is, and we've seen some of them over the past few weeks, fighting for the big picture in life because life has a way of wanting to miniaturize uh, the, the big things, the major purposes. We get so caught up in, in the worry, the anxiety, the strife, the stress, and all that, and everything is reduced. We miss that. Joseph fought, we saw last week, for the bigger picture. Joseph fought for dreams, not his personal dreams, but for the picture of God, of who he wanted, who he knew God wanted him to become. That was worth fighting for. With the resistance and the spiritual warfare, there are times where we're like, ah, forget it. I'll just be me. I'm not going to fight for who God wants me to be because there's too much resistance. Joseph was not that man. He said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for the bigger picture. We're not only looking at Joseph because of the holy fight that he fought, but we're seeing the amazing correlation between him and Christ. You might remember that Joseph, if you know this story, he was sold out by his own. We're said that the same thing is said of Christ, that his own rejected him. He came, he, by uh, genealogy, came through the Jewish line, and he was hoping that the nation of Israel would accept him. But in that day, they rejected him. There will be a day when they will understand more fully the nation of Israel, who Christ is. But in that point of history... They didn't quite get it. They were blinded to the fact that Christ was the Messiah. And they rejected him just like Joseph. Joseph was also unfairly accused of crimes that he didn't commit. Likewise with Christ. In fact, Christ was perfect. He died on the cross for crimes. Not one single crime. Not one single sin that he himself committed. But he was laid upon the cross as an innocent lamb. You see, Joseph was put inside a... The lower dungeons, the under the earth. Same for Christ. This is the story of Easter that Christ was put in the lower part of the earth. And, and in that moment, things must have seemed stuck. Joseph must have looked and, and, and he was in prison. He, he must have just said, this is impossible. By myself, I cannot get out. We have noticed that. In this story, there are some great descriptions. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, for example, we find that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, the word for prison here in the original language means encircled. In fact, some versions of the Bible says that Joseph was put in the roundhouse. Now, back in that day, that part of history, 
the prisons were often built in, in a circular structure. But it doesn't matter if it's circular or triangular or rectangle. It doesn't matter. When you're in a prison, when you're in a cell, you will feel that you're encircled. That you can't go to the left, you can't go to the right, you can't go straight, you can't go back. And I would venture to say that when we are in those places of our lives, we feel completely encircled. Because if there were an exit to the left, by golly, we'd take it. If there were something behind us, hey, we'd back up just to get out. But you very much know that those places seemed quite closed in. The stuckness, the encirclement around us is very real. Christ, on Good Friday, which we celebrated just a few days ago, we, we reflected on his crucifixion, understood what this meant in that moment. He himself cried out to the Father, Why have you forsaken me? Why am I stuck? I'm not seeing in this present moment. I need you, God. We're told in certain places of the Old Testament, there's some marvelous places in the Old Testament that are futuristic, really. The word, the Bible, biblical word would be prophetic, but they, they tell about the future in great detail. And we have certain places of the Old Testament that foreshadow what happened with Christ in great detail, including the crucifixion. Psalm 22 is one of those places. Take a look at these words, Psalm 22, verse 16. Christ on the cross is saying these words, thinking these words. They're written in Psalm 22 prophetically. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. There it is, imprisoned me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, this next part may seem strange, but many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan, encircle me. There's the word again, encircle me. You think, I don't even know what that, that means, bulls of Bashan. Well, if, if you look back in this part of history, it would be like we would say Kobe beef. It's the best. When you went to get a, a bull and you wanted the absolute strongest bull, you would go to Bashan. So what is being said is that when Christ was on the cross, when Joseph was entombed in the dungeon, surrounded in circle, the things that encircle us, the things that we say, if I could just get past this, if I could find myself unstuck, those things are not light. Those things are not just something that we take in a light manner. They are the bulls of Bashan, right? It's not just because they're there. It's because they're very strongly there. It's not just because they're very strongly there. They're very strongly encircling us. And that creates in the human spirit a sense of desperation. A sense of, oh, please, someone help me. We feel stuck in those moments. There was a, the, a commercial out not so long ago. Jeff Gordon, you may know him as the NASCAR race, uh, dri uh, race car driver. Did you see the commercial, Pepsi? He, uh, if you haven't seen it, he rolls up onto a parking lot. Of course, he's got a crew with him that are kind of hidden behind the scenes. And they, they're working with the car dealer. Jeff Gordon disguises himself. And he comes in the car lot as if he's checking out a car. I think there was a Camaro there or something. And uh, while the, the car dealer, who's this innocent, naive guy, is in the, there, they start putting cam hidden cameras all over this Camaro. And Jeff Gordon hops in the car like he's never driven a car of this power before. 
and just takes the guy for a ride. I mean, the guy is screaming in the back. It's just, it's, it's just a great commercial. Now, following that commercial, maybe, I don't know if you saw the sequel to that, but following that commercial, all over the internet, there were people who go, ah, that was stage, man. That was fake. You know, people say the same thing about the resurrection, by the way. Ah, that was staged. They took the body and everything. So this, they were saying, oh, this, is, this, is, this was all staged. So Jeff Gordon said, no, it was the real deal. So we, one of the main guys on the internet who was saying this is all fake, and he just kept going on and on and on and on. But he said, Jeff Gordon couldn't take it anymore. He said, oh, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to prank this guy. They brought in the police department to work with him. He shows up as a, as a uh, cab driver who had been in prison for 10 years, so he's got tattoos, everything like, looks like he's really rough and all that jazz. And this guy who's, who's about to be pranked, his company is in on it as well. They send him to a hotel, and they say, you need to call a cab and uh, be picked up by Jeff Gordon. And uh, they, he didn't know he's Jeff Gordon. He didn't be picked up. And Jeff Gordon shows up. I brought it to you for this morning. Hi, I'm Jeff Gordon. And you may remember a little video that I did with Pepsi Max called Test Drive. Some folks on the internet question whether I really pulled that off. One of those people was Travis from Jalopnik. Uh, I started to suspect about on the second viewing. Folks from Pepsi Max came to us and said, hey, we want to be able to prove that this test drive that happened a year ago was real. I'm going to be playing that next convict cab driver. If he knows that it's me, the whole thing is off. You Travis? I'm Travis. Are you from New York? Well, I'm from New, I'm from, actually, I'm from New Jersey. And... Did some time for, with a guy from Jersey one time. You know, I went away for 10 years, so you can imagine the fear I get. Oh, what? I wasn't even doing anything. is happening. This can't not be happening. What did he just say? No, get out of the cab. We can put the windows down. I can't put my, my windows locked. No, sir, please. I can't sir. go back, man. Stop, 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 please stop. I can't please do it, I'm gonna lose it. 
Was that for real? That was for real. <laughs> Blame him. I don't care for you. <laughs> Do I go for another ride? Yes. <laughs> Guys, that was amazing. Let me pinpoint the message of Easter after that. <laughs> in the hidden places of our life, we sometimes sit in the back seat just kicking. Let me out. Desperate. The windows are up. The doors are locked. And we need someone to walk around and open that door. Because we can't open it ourselves. You see, Christ, we read in the scriptures, is laying in this tomb, encircled, impossible if you're Christ. Listen to the language we find in Matthew 27. Pilate speaking to the soldiers, go make the tomb, watch, as secure as you know how. The enemy at times comes to us. Make that stronghold, that neck hold, that thing, that stuckness as strong as you know how. So they went and the soldiers went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on it. In other words, they put this clay-like material, this cement around it. So it seemed not only dark and encircled, but stuck and they put the seal on the stone. Not only did that, they posted a guard just to make sure that he wasn't going to escape. You read those words and you think, see, the Easter story is not a story about an escape artist. The story of Joseph was not a story about a clever man who figured out how to wiggle out of a bad scenario. Your life is not set up to be an escape artist. God does not say, oh, just keep trying. Keep trying and trying and trying. You'll find a way out. There'll be a little opening, a little crevice that you can just keep chiseling out like an escape artist. And you can, the harder you chisel, maybe you can get out. No, Christ says it's sealed. It's guarded. It's, it's wrapped up your encircle. You cannot do it on your own. The beauty of the Easter story is so nestled into Joseph's story. Can you imagine sitting in that, that jail cell as Joseph did? Week after week after week, month turned into months, months turned into years, year after year after year. We're told that Joseph was in that, that dungeon, that jail cell, that roundhouse, that encircling roundhouse, that trap, that stuck. He was stuck for years. And yet all that God had favored him, he did not give him the cleverness to escape. It was someone else who came and came around the cab and said, I'll let you out now. Watch this. In Psalm 105, we get a post-game commentary of Joseph's life. And here is the, uh, here's how things turned out. After years, in Psalm 105, verse 20, the king sent and released him. The rulers of people set, and, uh, set him free. In other words, someone else had to come and set him free. Now, of course, on an Easter morning, 
my message to you will be clear. It will be obvious. It will, you would almost assume that I'm about to say what I'm about to say. It is only God who can come around the other side of the car and let you out of certain places that you find yourself in. It is only Christ who has the power to do that. I believe that with all my heart, not because it's written in the Word of God, God's scriptures, but I believe it because of personal experience. I not only believe it because of the Word of God and the personal experience, but I believe it because I've seen it in the lives of others. I not only believe it because of the scripture, my personal experience in the life of others, I believe it because in the life of others in the last 14 days. I have seen people being released, doors open, things changed that they themselves, I promise you, just 12 months ago said, I would have never done that. I would have never had the courage to do that. Something has been infused in my life. I would have always been this way. There are things that, that we find ourselves in, like our personalities. And we think, oh, I'm just, this is, I'm way. And God would say, oh, I know you're that way. I know you're stuck. I know you're encircled. But I am the God who came back from the dead. For some of you, like, okay, I would expect a pastor in a church on Easter morning to say the words you just said. I need credentials. Let me give them to you. It's not only the Word of God. It's not only our personal experience. It's not only the experience that we witness in other people's lives. But at one point in time, you must, in my opinion, come to grips with is, is Christ who he said he was or is he not? Does he have the credentials to come around to your door wherever you're stuck and open it? See, in Christ's life, when he was walking around. People were checking him out. Of course, like, I don't know. I, I don't know about this guy. We have it easier, by the way. We have 2,000 years of, of history packed and in, in, in behind us. These guys didn't. So Christ was walking around, and even his disciples were looking carefully at him, saying, is this, is this the one? Let me remind you that when Christ was out on the sea one time, a storm arose. Now, nobody that we know of has ever been able to speak to a storm. I don't know anyone personally, do you, who can speak to a storm and change it? Of course, we know the story, Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus got up in the middle of the storm, in the middle of a boat. The, the disciples were freaked out, by the way. They were stuck. There was nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go in a rowboat, by the way. There's nowhere out, left, right, straight, backwards. You're stuck there. And you, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're just, you're, you're just feel trapped in, in a thunderstorm. That's the way they felt, only it was worse. It's like being in the middle of a golf course. Even worse than that, you're out in the middle of a sea. Jesus got up in this encircling circumstance, and he rebuked the wind, the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, who is this dude? My version. What kind of man is this? Even the winds... And the waves obey him. His credentials just went up. Because if he can do that, what else can he do? You might remember that Jesus was talking to a person. He said, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the religious folk got all bent out of shape and said, well, you can't say that. And so he asked a question. We find it in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 9. Christ said, well, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven. He did not say which is easier to forgive your sins. To say that. I can say that. I could stand up here like a priest and say, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you all your sins. It, it, it means nothing, really. 
I, I don't have that power. They question, who is this man that has this, who's claiming to have this power? Christ says, well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, why don't you get up and walk because this man was crippled? Well, the answer to that question is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because if I say, why don't you get up and walk, that's got to be proven. But to say that you, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, go home. The man got up, he went home, and the crowd saw this. They were filled with awe. Like, well, well if he can make a, a crippled man walk, then perhaps he does have the credentials to forgive sins. If this man has power over the elements of nature where he can calm a storm, then perhaps he actually is who he said he is. Now, death is a frontier that no human being has forged before. There has not been one single individual who's gone and said, I've beat death. But see, when we look at the Easter story, and we look at what Christ did, and if he could conquer death, then he can conquer anything in your life. If he can open up the gates of death and walk through them and walk back through them, then whatever that is in your life that seems so stuck, those gates that seem so strong, then you know because he's got the credentials. I went to a doctor recently. I go in with this, this thing, and I'm talking to him about it. At the end of the time... He looks at me and says, well, what do you think it is? <laughs> I literally looked behind me. I thought there was another doctor in the room. I'm like, are you talking to me? Have you seen my credentials? There's no M or D after my name. I have no white coat at home. I have nothing. I came to you because you're the, you got the, the sheepskin. I see it right there on the wall. It says where you graduated from. I came to you because I couldn't do it myself. If you believe that Christ cannot get you out of the stuck place, then you believe that whatever that thing is is greater than death. And there is no greater hurdle than death. And since Christ conquered death, he can conquer your thing. That is the message of Easter. There is nothing as great as Christ. Now watch this. This power that you would say, oh man, God, uh, the Father, looked down and through his power raised Christ from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. It was encircled. It was sealed. It was guarded. But God the Father did something in that moment for his son Christ to raise him by the power that he sent. You think, hey, all well and good. That is the Easter story. It doesn't stop there. That same power, God is saying, that same power is still alive. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. And then he prays for a list of things. For the sake of time, I've cut them all out except the last one, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Good news. Watch. That power 
is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You see, that same power, when, Christ, when God the Father said, arise, he looks into our life, that same power, if you believe he has the credentials, that same God is saying, I see your stuckness. I see that. Arise, open up. He, can, he, he has that same power in him. Now, back in the day when Christ walked the planet, and prisoners, when they put them in a cell, they put the crime, they put their name, and they put the crime on a sign on their jail cell. So they would say, Steve McCoy, murderer. And they plastered that thing up. That's why Christ had a sign on the cross, because he said he was the king of the Jews. He said that he was, and there, there is no other king than Caesar. That's the crime they finally tried to nail on him, even though he was innocent of those uh, accusations. You see, back in the day, I can imagine Joseph sitting in that, that, that jail cell with a, with a sign, Joseph, rapist. That was the crime they falsely accused him for. I have to wonder, after speaking to so many people, having so much interaction, what is the sign that you post above your cell? Or perhaps, I, let me ask another question. What is the sign, are you ready, that someone else has posted on your cell? I've talked to people of different religions. I've, I've, I've an intersection with people that, that would say, well, I'm an atheist, so I can't believe in God. Oh, sure you can. God doesn't have you. You're not stuck in that place. I've spoken to Jewish people. There's a, there's a, a beautiful person right across the street. She's Jewish. Hey, it, you know, I'm Jewish. I can't believe in Christ. Well, Christ was a Jew. So you got a, you got a connecting piece here. And there's nothing that says, well, I, you know, here's my religion. I plaster it on a jail cell and I lock myself in. <clears throat> Some of you would say, I'm divorced. That's the sign on your jail cell. So I'm out for the rest of life. Christ says, arise. Don't be stuck in that. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. It's over for me. I couldn't be uh, anywhere like the guy up front who looks so clean and holy. Oh, stay after church. I'll give you the other side of the moon. I'll give you the dark side of my life. I'll give you some history of a man that Christ said, Arise, don't lock yourself in. There, there are people sitting in this room. I walked through a one-to-one -one discipleship with a man before. And he said, My father told me my whole life growing up, you're a quitter and you're a loser. Boom! He put that sign over his cell, and it was as if, if he could not get out. That was locked. It was sealed. It was guarded. And there was no way that he was not going to be a loser. Over and over and over, because it doesn't take, sometimes it takes a lot more for us as human beings. Over and over and over, I looked him in the eyes. I take him by the shoulders. I'd say, you are not a quitter. You are not a loser. You are a Christ son. You're a child of God, and it takes that penetrating power. What sign have you put on the jail cell of your life? Christ, in the Easter message, tells us, tear it down. Other people say, oh, you can't do it. You, you're always timid. You'll always be fearful. You'll always be outspoken. You'll always be overbearing. You know the Hebrew word for that, for those who have been around? What is it? 
You got it, my followers. <laughs> Fooey. There was a blind man who was blind from birth who came to Christ. Imagine, imagine the stuckness of being blind. Imagine the lack of hope that you'd have. And he began to cry out to Christ, Oh, please have mercy. Mark chapter 10. Many rebuked him and told him to shut up. Many people, when you say, I think there's a chance. I think Christ can really change. I've seen it so deeply embedded in, in the church. I'm, I, I, I'm a believer of personality profiles. I had a meeting this week about them. And, and we, we take them. We find out I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Am I, you know, I, do I count paper clips? Or I'm like, ah, just kind of crazy, loose, and artistic. I mean, it tells us all that. Good things. Good stuff if they're used right. If they're used right. If they're used right. Some people use them as an excuse and say, well, this is just the way I am right now. This is the way I am. And put that on my jail cell. What happened to the entire Bible, which is about God transforming our lives, taking down the cells of our own uh, prisons, of our own encirclement, and saying, no, you're not that for the rest of your life. This is why I came. This is the power and the resurrection that I've come to take you from a place that's stuck to a place that's free. Don't believe it for a second. Thank you, Mom. Appreciate that. <laughs> I was faithful over there. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus, just as Christ, just as Christ, equal to Christ, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live in a new life. You know, I talk to a lot of Christians who believe in reincarnation. Now, not reincarnation like you might think I'm talking about. They just keep reincarnating the same bad behavior. Over and over, like, oh, well, I thought we'd... Oh, there it is again. Well, well I'm glad we're... Oh, you're, back in my, you're back sitting across from my desk again. Christ said, can we kill that? Can we take that thing off? Can we give a new life? Because there's sometimes when our stuck behavior just quite frankly, become stupid behavior. We move from stuck to stupid. Have you ever done that? Last week, I'm shaving, and, you know, sometimes you nick yourself. Sometimes you gash yourself. And I, I literally heard flesh when I'm like, and, you know, you just, no, oh, thank you for that. You're so compassionate. And it just ripped my lip. I mean, I just cut right in and just bleeding profusely. This was not your average nick. So I have a septic pencil, you know, you hold your breath and stick it on there. It's like, ah, like a bee sting. I did the same thing the next day. <laughs> same spot. Not a nick, but I'm like, ah, oh, forgot. So now I shave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus said it clearly, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for those who have imprisoned themselves and for those who have been imprisoned by others, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Okay, finally, let me say this to you. That's all well and good. But we do have a, a role to play. We must 
not just say, wow, God's power is amazing. He certainly has the credentials to free me from the cell in which I find myself. Could be a little thing. Could be something that you're, you've been trying to get over forever. It could be a heavier thing, a deep-seated thing. I've shared with you my struggle with overeating through the, through the years. And it's just that thing, it's like it's just so aggravating. That you try every diet plan. You try every way to do it. You try exercising. I tried exercising with a bear claws. I thought if I, I just exercise enough, I could eat whatever I want. I've tried a million different things. I've tried uh, raspberry ketones or whatever they're called. And garbenia garginia or whatever that stuff is. I've tried the, all that stuff. Until I came to the place where I leaned forward and said, God, I am out of power. I'm out of trying. And I leaned forward and said, your power in me. Your power in me. It is the only way, period. Try as you must in your own cell to get out. You'll discover either quickly or the hard way that you are not designed to be an escape artist. When I was in my last school in a university out in the Midwest, I, find my, I found this relational opportunity with students from Asia. Their language, some of their language skills were not up to par, and I would help them in their studies, and it was a great way to get to know them. One guy was from Korea. His name was Don Kim. We became very, very close friends. Of course, people coming in, as we would, to another culture, you don't understand how things work, how the nuts and bolts of the university system and whatnot. And in our system, especially at the level I was at, the, there, you rever the professors. Our history professor was Dr. Revit. To this day, he is the meanest man I have ever met. <laughs> he would walk the classroom like this in these cheap, squeaky shoes. <laughs> every time he took a step and then he would look and every time he'd look you you would just shudder like you would like get busy you know like oh please don't call on me because he would ridicule you he was the kind of guy that when you saw him walking down the hall you would just turn like he he had that much that much power over the students and we were just like oh here comes dr revit of course, we joke behind his back and all those stories about how mean can you get. And, you know, he's meaner than your mama and all those kinds of jokes. <laughs> well, see, my friend Don Kim didn't understand all that and how to like, oh, don't, don't go to his office on your own, right? So Don says, hey, I, I've set up a meeting, Steve, with you and Dr. Revit, myself and my family. I'm like, you What? <laughs> And he says, yeah, it's for Saturday at 9.30 in the morning. I'm like, what? I, I feel like I'm dreaming. Like, is this guy telling me this? Such a kind uh, uh, guy, this guy, Don Kim. Uh, language skills. I'm shocked how he even got into the college. His language skills were so poor. And so as it went on, he says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to meet. I'll pick you up. So he picked me up in this Lincoln Continental that was about 50 yards long, dude. I mean, the thing was, you know, like the, the huge, and it was two-door. And when you opened the doors, you know, you folded the seats up, and then pl I plopped in the back. I plopped in the back, and there sits his wife and, and their demon, uh, their child. Sorry. 
to this day. I, there was the meanest teacher I've ever had, the meanest man I've ever met, and the craziest four-year-old uh, girl, a little cute Korean girl, just crazy, jumping up inside the Lincoln Continental. And I'm like, and, and, and it's just like, I'm not, so we drive, now it's about November, it's in the Midwest, it's cold, it's like 35 degrees. We drive to a park, and we all gather, Dr. Revit, myself, Don Kim, and his family, around the lakefront. It is freezing, and we've got a small hibachi, and they're grilling these little pieces of unidentified meat. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it got so cold that we said, we got to get out of here. And so Don said, well, let's go back to my house. So we went back to his house. We got inside the car, and they were sitting there talking. I'm in the back seat, no back door. Dr. Revit in front of me on the passenger side. Don is driving. I got the demons beside me going here. And his wife, watch. And a flaming hibachi. <laughs> the flames are still going, cooking this unidentified meat. I swear to you, I thought I'm going to wake up any minute. Because this is a nightmare. Inside of me, I'm like, does anyone, is anyone at all concerned about carbon monoxide? <laughs> the car, this Lincoln Continental, which makes it so funny, is filling up with smoke. <laughs> I started to get sick to my stomach for multiple reasons, but mainly the smoke. And I'm like, well, just don't say anything. You know, you'll be okay. I felt sweat coming up on my head. And finally, I, you know, you're, here it comes. <laughs> Maybe I could put the fire out. <laughs> Maybe I could throw up on this little demon. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Until I could take it no more, and I lean forward to the meanest man I've ever met. And I said, Dr. Revit, could you open the door for just a second? Because I was trapped. Now, I could have sat back in the back seat, and who knows where it would have gone from there. But I had to lean forward to talk to the only person that could open the door. I'm stuck, you might say you got to lean forward. God is waiting for you to say one word and one word only. Help! It's a hard word for human beings. Oh, there's... It's so easy in our culture to say, well, Jesus Christ, and use it in a wrong way. But from a point of view of help, to say, Jesus Christ, help! Oh, it's the hardest thing for a human being. But when you get to that point, welcome to the Easter story. Where what was sealed becomes unsealed. Where what is guarded becomes unguarded. See, Moses was standing at the Red Sea, you might remember, trapped, stuck. Until he said, God, help me. Look what God said to him. He said, okay, just, just settle down. But he says, raise your staff, your staff, 
Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on drowned land. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. He said, Moses, you got to do your job. Reach out to me. Don't just sit there. Don't be in your jail cell. Don't just whine about it. Don't complain about it. And for goodness sake, for heaven's sake, for Christ's sake, for the kingdom's sake, don't just say, well, this is the way I am. Because God would say, then you, the way you are, are greater than the resurrection power. And that is false. That's very false. Stretch out your hand. And the reason that he doesn't make escape artists, watch. Don't miss it. Here it is. The reason that he doesn't make us escape artists is because we would take all the credit. It's when the king sent for Joseph that he said, that wasn't me. It's when Moses saw that the, the sea divided. You see, 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does with, our, with guns and knives and spears and shields. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I wonder what it is that's holding you back. Don't try to be an escape artist. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a lab with me. I'm not going to trick you, but I want you to do a lab with me. This blind man came to Christ. It's hard to imagine what he had suffered all his life. But before we close and before I let you go, I want you to just experience something with me for a second. I want you to close your eyes. This is not a time of prayer. This is a time of, uh, of just an experimental lab. So let, let's all close our eyes. I want you to imagine for a second that you're this blind man that came to Christ. You've been blind all your life. You've only heard of Christ because you certainly couldn't see him. That's kind of like us, 2,000 years removed. You've only been told of what he could do. You didn't see it yourself. And in the deepest part of you, you've got to wonder, is this true? Now imagine that you're Joseph, you're sitting in the darkness of a cell. You wake up, it's about 3 a.m., 3 there's not a light in sight. You're thinking, man, this seems impossible. Maybe you're in year three. Seems impossible. I wonder what the darkness inside the sealed tomb was like. Guarded and sealed and encircled. Christ looked at the blind man, this man who is standing as you're sitting here today in total darkness, lack of hope, stuck, hoping that through some something throughout life he could have escaped this prison. I wonder as you sit here today, 
what that sign is. Just can't get it out of my mind. What is that sign that is nailed to the jail cell? Is it a little something? Is it a big something? Is it something that's been around for a long, long time? Something that seems so impossible, that seems so stuck. Christ asked that blind man a question that I believe on this Easter morning he asks us. And if we open your eyes, you'll see the question of Christ up on the screen. He asked him this question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? I've been irreligious all my life, you may say. I've said things about God and to God that would make some people shudder. Do you believe that God would be able to take a person like you and absolutely give you an appetite for spiritual things, for Christ? You may be sitting here today and say, you know what, I have no interest in God. Never have, never will. You may say, I'm stuck. Would you believe today that Christ would look in your eyes and say, do you think I'm able to change your heart? I know individuals sitting in this room that feel chained to addictions. Christ asked you a question this morning, this Easter morning. Do you believe that I, with all my credentials, the storm calmer, the healer, the one who is back from the dead, who beat death, the highest hurdle of the human experience, Christ says, do you believe that I am able? Not your psychologist, not your counselor, not your best friend, but do you believe that I, Christ, the risen Christ, am able? That's the question that he penetrates your heart. I've been crabby all my life. Do you believe that I'm able to change you, to transform you? I've been timid and fearful all my life. Do you believe that I am able to take you and make you into a different person? I've been private. Do you think I can make you public? Now, we're not going to change from someone else, but within you, he can change you into a person that he can use. Take off the sign of your prison. Open it up for Christ to come in and allow him who is able to change your life on this Easter morning because he is the only one who is risen from the dead. Exclamation point, underline, italicize, bold it with capital letters. That's who he is. Father, thank you for this Easter morning. Thank you, God, that there is only one who is able. His name is Jesus Christ. He is not a name in the record books. He is not just a name in the history books. He is not just a religious concept. He is not just someone who is a hero. He was not just a prophet and not just a teacher, not just a good man. But he is the only Savior of the world. He is the only risen Savior of the world. God today with that same power, the same power 
that rose Christ from the dead, I pray, God, with all confidence that that same power would be moving in the minds and the hearts of the people sitting in this room, Father. Thank you, God, that Christ not only has the credentials, but he holds the power. I pray, God, for those who have nailed signs above their jail cells or someone else has put a sign above it and they've believed it. I pray, God, today that they'll believe something else. They'll believe you. They'll believe that you are able and that they'll believe that you're willing. On this Easter morning, God, we thank you for the risen Christ, but beyond that, we thank you that this risen power is still active in this world and in our experience with you. I pray, Father, for those who only have believed in Christ by concept. They've only believed in Christ and agreed to the historical facts, but they've never leaned forward from the back of their chair and uttered this one word, help. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.